Come on. Eh? Eh? See, I got some dad humor in me. I got some dad humor going on. There's plenty of it, Jay. There's plenty of it, man. So a couple years into ministry for me, I, I learned an important lesson. A couple years into ministry, I, had a, I thought that I was doing a great job. And I shared a little bit with you last week about how uh, what we, we created small group ministry as kind of the bread and butter of our youth ministry. And that's really what led, what I would say, what led to the success of the youth ministry at my former church. But it was a hard lesson to learn because a couple years in, I thought I was doing a really killer job. I had leaders in place. I had these people that were there supporting the ministry until one of the leaders, his name was Jeremy, he came up to me and he said, Chad, it's been really fun serving over this last year, but I don't think you need me. And I was like, whoa, Jeremy, what are you talking about? This guy was like manly man, like out of the military, firefighter guy. The kids loved him. And I'm like, this is the guy that I want serving in my ministry. Everybody loves him. Why does he want to quit? What's going on? So I'm like, Jeremy, what are you talking about? No, 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 the kids love you. I need you. What are you saying that you're, you're going to quit? And he's like, well, it's just, it's just clear you don't need me. And I kept going like, I do need you. What are you talking about, man? And he goes, well, see, here's the deal. Like, I show up, and you run the games in the gym, and then we go into the youth room, and you give the youth talk, and then we move into small groups, but our group was only like 15 to 20, and Chad's like, you just kind of lead the discussion, the small group discussion of 15 to 20, like that's a small group. He's like, you, you just don't need me. It's no offense to you. It's just clear that, like, you've got it. I thought, oh, my gosh, is that the way I'm leading? Is that the way I'm leading where I've asked, I've begged, I've pleaded with these amazing people to come and serve alongside me, and then I'm just doing everything. I'm not actually empowering them to do ministry. I came across uh, in my reading one year, and this, this became clear as day to me what I had done wrong, uh, Exodus 18. You know the story? Maybe you don't know the story. Let me refresh your memory. Moses is leading the people, and he's doing a killer job, kind of. He's out in the wilderness, the people are grumbling, and he's trying to answer all of their questions and do everything for everybody. And his father-in-law Jethro comes along, and Jethro just comes along, and he's kind of observing what Moses is doing, his leadership style here. And he's looking at what Moses is doing, and he says to him, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. See, Moses was having every single person who had a dispute, who had a question, he was the only channel to answer the questions, to stand in the gap between people and God. He was the only one. Everybody was coming to him. And his father-in-law saw that he was just trying to be the, the, the end-all, be-all, do everything for everyone. And he said, what you're doing isn't good. And I realized after my conversation with Jeremy that what I do it, what I was doing wasn't the best. And it's this phrase, and these people, that stood out to me. Because I had heard a lot. I had heard a lot as a seminarian being trained for ministry, in internships I had done. I was warned, don't to do too much or you will burn out. And I thought, oh, I'll never burn out. Not me. I mean, I can function at a very high level. I, can, I, 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 I like to think that I can function at a very high level, and I can go and go and go and go and go, and I'm just fine. And so it was this phrase, you're going to wear the people out as well, that stood out to me. Because what I realized that if I didn't equip, equip
equip and empower people like Jeremy to share the ministry that we could only serve so many people. I could only be available to so many people. And so eventually people who said, well, I want to hang out with you, Chad, I'd say like, sorry, I can't hang out with you. I don't have time because I have these other people I'm trying to hang out with. And you start to burn out other people. And that became the thing that was most alarming to me that, well, I I wasn't going to burn out, but potentially I could burn out others. The very people that I was longing to serve, longing to see grow in their relationship with Jesus, I was on the road to burning them all out where eventually they would all come to me like Jeremy and say, yeah, you clearly don't need us. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to do something else. I came across Ephesians 4. This is where I'm uh, drawing a lot of this out of this morning. We're we're talking about the importance of serving in the church. And I want to start from a place of of leadership. If you're in a place of leadership, leading a ministry, I want to talk to you at the beginning of this. If you find yourself... Uh, maybe even you're leading in, a bu- in the business world. Maybe you're leading in your home. Maybe you're leading a community organization. I want to talk to those of us in a place of leadership. And many of us, many of you are in a place of leadership, whether you recognize it or not. You are leading something. And so I want to talk to all of us at first and then get to a place where I believe each person in this room, each person in the body of Christ has a ministry. We all have a ministry. A place God wants to use us, use our gifts, use our talents, use our time. Not just for him to do something, but we also get a blessing. We receive something out of that too. So we all have a ministry, a place to serve. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Paul writes to the church and he says to them, now now these are the gifts. He's talking here in the context of unity in the church. How to build up unity in the body of Christ. And he starts in verse 11. And in verse 11 he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility, he says, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That God has called some people, Jesus has called some people in the church to be leaders. But their job as leaders is not to do what I was doing early on in ministry. Well, you've called me. I'm set apart. Now I will do everything. But their job is to actually look for people in the congregation, in the body of Christ, to equip them and empower them to serve in the life of the church. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It says this will continue forever, because this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So he actually says, this was an interesting thing that I, that I, I was contemplating as I was reading this, that the handing off of leadership and empowering people to do ministry actually helps the whole church become more mature. It leads to maturity in our faith when we're given responsibility, when we're put into action in the life of the church, it calls us to to actually own ministries and to invest time, and that's when we grow the most. When we actually have to own a ministry, it's when we grow the most. And he continues, he says, "Then, then when all of this is happening, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every, this is why I say it's going to go on forever, because, come on, if this is, 
like this is happening right now. Anyway, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. It says instead, we'll speak the truth in love. See, when you're serving alongside people and relationships are strong, you have that ability to, to speak the truth to somebody in love. When we're serving alongside of each other in these, these, these high capacities, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So if you're leading something, if you find yourself in a place of leadership, the point is, and what I want to hold myself accountable to, and what I want to hear if I'm not doing well, is the whole point is to empower and equip others to serve Jesus with all they've got, with the gifts they have, and whatever capacity God has gifted them to serve in that way. And then he says that when all the parts this is Paul's language here elsewhere in Romans and 1 Corinthians. He talks about the body of Christ having, you know, not everybody's an arm and not everybody's a leg and not everybody's an eye, but it takes all of the parts of the body to function as a healthy body. And only when all of the parts are functioning together can we actually be on mission for Jesus as a church, as a church. I came across a fascinating, because I, I, I want to continue kind of talking to leaders here, but I think this applies to any and all of us. I came across a very fascinating TED Talk. You know the TED Talks? It actually stands for Technology, Education, and Design, in case you didn't know. Uh, TED Talk, this one was from 2009 that just really grabbed my attention. It was, it was called Lead Like the Great Conductors by this guy, Itay Talgam. And he shows a variety of conductors it shows how they bring the orchestra together to work together to create something beautiful. The first one he shows is this guy. There you go. I just like want to dance with it. And then he contrasts it with this guy. Okay, that's enough of him because it doesn't get any better than that. That's all he does the entire time. Same facial expression, same very intense hand movements. He's in control. So leadership style, in control, in charge. We'll say more about what happened to that guy later. The first guy, though, is Carlos Kleber. And you can tell Carlos Kleber was just having a blast. 
he was loving every minute of being up there. People are clapping, and he's just into it. And he probably at that point isn't giving much direction to the people. He's letting them play the music. He's letting them use their gifts. He's letting them tell the story in such a beautiful way. The presenter says about Kleber here, he says, what can you say the conductor was doing? Well, he was happy. And then he says this, he was spreading happiness. He was spreading happiness. His body language, his leadership style was spreading happiness. He says, I think the happiness, the important thing is that happiness does not come from his own story. He's not making this happen. The joy that he's experiencing, the happiness, is about enabling other people's stories to be heard at the same time. You have the story of the orchestra. You have the story of the audience. This is one of the rare moments where the actual presenter said, rare moments where the Vienna performing hall, they actually participated. Usually they sit very stoic, he said. Here, they were just involved in the music, and they were brought in, and they were clapping, and everybody was now a part of this beautiful thing they were putting together. He said you have the stories of the individuals in the orchestra, the individuals in the audience, and you have the stories of the people who built the wonderful concert hall. You have the stories of the people who made the instruments, and all these stories are being heard at the same time. I thought, what a beautiful image of the body of Christ that when we're all doing our part, contributing our story to the whole, that's a beautiful picture. When, when the conductor, the person who gets to stand up here, doesn't have to go and do this and stop there. And now you go and stop there. He actually jokes around, but that, that, that particular conductor was known to do stuff like, like, like slice the throat at people if they weren't doing what he wanted. And he had a different style of leadership. That particular conductor's style of leadership, he felt like he was in charge of making the music happen. And so he couldn't let people make the music happen. He had to make the music happen. Needless to say, I told you I'd tell you what happened to him. Uh, later on, all the musicians came to him three years later, three years ago. This was like in 2006. All 700, uh, 700 employees of this musical group asked this man to resign. Here's why. They said, you're a great conductor, but we don't want to work with you. Why, he said. Because you don't let us develop. You're using us as instruments, not as partners. What a difference it makes when we feel like we're used as partners. We're partners in ministry, partners in the work of God, partners together, working together towards a common goal towards a common purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus, of seeing people develop in their life of Christ, working together to spread the good news, rather than, what can I get out of you? Ooh, it's an interesting difference there. It's an interesting difference. Uh, Talgum, the, the presenter, uh, just one more thing about him. He says about Kleber, this guy, he says there's this beautiful thing. He says it's like, it's like being on a roller coaster when you're a part of a music thing like this, like what he is able to pull together. It's like being on a roller coaster. You're not really given any instructions, but the force of the process itself keeps you in place. See, he says the interesting thing, of course, is that the roller coaster, in terms of the, them pulling off the music, it doesn't really exist. It's in the players' heads. 
and that's what makes them into partners. They have a plan for the music, but it's when, it's when they come together, when they come together, they become a partner in building a roller coaster. And it becomes very exciting to be a part of, he says. It's the best music making, he says. I mean, can you imagine that? Have you been a part of a team, part of a ministry team, part of a team maybe outside of the church, where when you're working together and you're working in your best gifted place, the place where God has given you skills, the place where you just feel like it's the most joyful thing in the world. Have you experienced that? You're like, this is amazing. We're seeing this life change, and it's impacting me, and it feels like you're on this crazy roller coaster. I can't believe we're doing this. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I think a year ago when we talked about the idea of moving towards a volunteer worship team, it was a little crazy. Some of you were like, that will never work. And now it's been this crazy roller coaster ride where they like come together and they work these things out and it's become beautiful. People using their gifts, people growing in faith, people sharing their gifts with the church on this crazy roller coaster ride and they get to say, come along with us. And we get to come along with you every Sunday. What a joy. What an amazing thing. And that can happen in so many other areas of the church. When I finally figured that out in youth ministry, it was so much more fun. When I could say, no, I want you to take this, this small group of people. You now are in charge of them. You will be the spiritual father or mother to this group of students. And you take these people. And you go do this. You need to do this. Not Chad does everything and tells you when to stop. And when to go and come in and stop. I, I, I'll tell you what, I got to do a lot of dancing like this guy. I got, to, I got to do a lot of dancing like him. Kids would go off to small groups and I would look around and go, there's nothing for me to do at youth group right now. I just get to hang out in the gym. I can shoot some hoops. I can talk to some straggler kids. I can talk to some parents because everybody was involved and engaged in ministry using their gifts. It was a beautiful thing. I've seen this in coaching as well, and I used to use this term, assignment alignment. So I thought since I used a musical uh, illustration, I should use a sports one too because it's Father's Day, you know. Try to touch everybody here where you're at. And so in, in football especially, I coached a lot of football where we lived, and I would uh, I coach defense. And I would use this phrase with, my, with my, my kids all the time. I coached high school football. Assignment alignment. Remember your assignment. Remember your alignment. Because the importance was, again, again, each player on the team, each participant in the program had a role to play, had a place to be on the field. See, this picture here, sometimes you may have seen some of these pictures with all these arrows and all this stuff, and you're like, ah, that's just gobbledygook to me. But what it shows to me is this is what's called a corner blitz. So this, this guy, I think this is actually Ohio State, so it's way to go, John Trotter. There you go, I'm just throwing you... Throw you a bone here. I guess this is what I found. There you go. Would have never used it except, anyway. Um, <laughs> the Nebraskan in me, it's killing me that that's the example. So it's called a corner blitz. So this guy on the bottom in the red, he's going to blitz at the quarterback who's ready to receive the ball. And what they're showing is if he blitzes and nobody covers the guy in white down here at the bottom, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. He knows his assignment is to go like crazy at the quarterback. But if the other guy, see the arrow at this guy way up here at the top of the screen, on the left of the screen, if he doesn't slide over and cover this other guy, they're in trouble. 
Because they're going to be out of alignment, out of assignment. They're going to be in the wrong place. And so everybody has to be in their role. Everybody has to be in their lane, so to speak, so that the whole thing can come together in a beautiful way. And if you know something about football, kind of like what they were saying about the orchestra, there also is some freedom if you're a good coach. Some freedom for the players to feel the game a little bit to exercise some of their personality and, and their skills, and you need to start to know who they are because just like in the orchestra, players can be used as instruments, not as partners. You say, that's just a kid that's going to do a thing for me, and I've coached with guys like that. It's not fun. I started thinking of these examples, though, these examples and, and using the language of assignment, alignment, and thinking about the orchestra as partnering together to build this beautiful story, and I thought, isn't that what serving in the church is like as well? That when we add our gifts to the body of Christ, when we add our gifts, our talent, and we give our time and we make it a priority, we can do so much more together than we could alone. We've seen that in some small ways here. We've seen that in some big ways here. And I want to encourage us this morning to really consider within the mission of our church, of reaching each generation, of seeing the next generation come to know Jesus, where do we fit? Where do I fit? What's my ministry? That's the question this morning. But there is a challenge facing the church today. And here's where I want to switch more to personal, individual, uh, less from leadership if you're leading a team, and more to where do you fit in? And that is that there is a tendency today, and it's been happening probably, I would say, uh, Church consultants and others are pointing to like the mid-90s uh, as, a, as a, a shift in the church where attendance and numbers became the primary focus rather than engagement. And so what we need to get back to is engagement in the life of the church. Come with me on this a little bit, okay? Come with me. Engagement. How are you engaged by the church, not just I go to stuff? I sit at a thing. And it's an important thing to track because as leaders in the church, we need to figure out how are people being engaged in ministry? How are people being engaged by Jesus? Rather than are just people simply coming and that makes us happy and we look at a number and we go, whoo, we haven't lost people. Whoo, doing a good job. No, how are people taking steps in engagement, taking steps in their life of faith? And we really need to look at that. There's a Canadian pastor named Kerry Newhoff. That's him right there. He's Canadian. Canadians look fun. No, I, I can't say that. Do they look? Did I say that? Why did I even say that? So when I lived in Washington, we were so close to Canada, so there's a lot of Canadian jokes. Um, not so much in South, Southern California. There you go. But he writes, uh, he, he's been writing about engagement versus attendance for a long time. I would say he was one of the first to really pick up on this. And he writes this, he says, if you look back at the genesis of the Jesus movement, the idea of attendance at a, as a hallmark would have been crazy. You only attended things, this is back at the beginning when Jesus was gathering people, you only attended anything like a Jesus rally because you were engaged. The, the people who were, were going and flocking to Jesus is because they, they, they needed to be engaged in the ministry. They needed to see Jesus. They were desperate to see Jesus to come around him. It wasn't just to say like, yeah, I was there. Count me. They were engaged. But in the process, he says, over the years, we've built attractive 
relevant churches, and we've had an unattended side effect. Because certainly we want to be, we don't want to have like terrible worship and terrible things that are like, yeah, nobody would want to come to this, but it's not about attendance. We still want to have things that people want to come to. But he said an unattended side effect of that is that people have come to evaluate church by what they get out of it, not by what they put into it. He says, and that's a mistake. Along the way, discipleship, he says, has been redefined to mean consumption of knowledge or consumption of ministries. Not so much that I'm giving to this ministry, but do you have a ministry for me? A ministry I need. So he says, the more you know, the more mature you have become. And I believe, he says, that's a flawed approach. Authentic discipleship has always been about dying to self. It's about giving more than it's about getting. And isn't this what Paul was talking about where he says maturity in faith, maturity is going to come when we're all being equipped and empowered to do the ministry that God has called us to do. That's when maturity and unity in the church will happen is when there's a common vision, a common goal, and we're all working together, engaged in the life of the church to achieve that goal. Finally, he says this, he says, people are longing for an alternative to life as they know it. Here's the quote I have up there. And he says, the church is that alternative. As I read that, I had to pause for a second. Because I think at my core, I believe that. I want to believe that. I want to believe that the church at our best, the body of Christ, is the alternative that people are looking for. That we can provide freedom from the things that would entangle people. We can, we can connect people to the divine, the source, the one who can tell them about the purpose, the meaning of your life. That the church can be the alternative. But I wonder how many of us in leadership, I just was thinking about this this last week and I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Is How many of us have given up on that as an idea? And said the church, I don't know, is the church, can the church really be an alternative? I, I fear for that. I wonder about that. But finally, that, that's just kind of a sidebar. He says this, Christians obsessed with giving their lives away trump Christians obsessed with themselves and their preferences. Like if you want to see new people come to know Jesus, if you want to make an impact for Christ on the lives of others, Maybe it starts with your own family. Maybe it goes to your coworkers, to your classmates, to just random people, your neighbors. It's about people who are obsessed with giving their lives away. And when people say, why do you live that way? The answer is simple, because I believe in Jesus. And I believe that the alternative way of life that Jesus offers being connected to this body of believers called the church is, is, the alternative that people are looking for. It's the alternative people are looking for. I want to share one more thing that he says that I think is really interesting before we move to kind of an action step, an action step as part of what does it mean to be invested, engaged in the life of the church. He says this, a final reason that engagement will drive future church growth, and, and let me be clear, for him, church growth is not numeric growth. It's about, hey, if we think, if we can at least agree that we'd like to see people come into a relationship with Jesus who don't know Jesus, then we should be growing a little bit. 
If we can believe that, future church church growth is simply this. People become most passionate about the things with which they're most involved. Isn't that the truth? He says engagement fuels involvement. Involvement fuels passion. Passion fuels invitation. That's why your friend wants you to try that recipe. Watch the game with me and at least attempt a 5K. You know this, right? That people who are like crazy lovers of Macintosh computers, this isn't, this isn't just a computer. This is a way of life. And if you're not on board with the way of life, what are you doing? If you don't have an iPhone, what's going on with you? What do you think? And people can get crazy passionate about these things. I used to, I had a friend in Washington that we would talk, he'd be like, Android is the best. And finally he got an iPhone and I was like, it's the best, right? You know it's the best. And, and he was like, yeah, I think you're right. I'm like, yes, I won. Because I was like passionate about, what a crazy thing to be passionate about. If you've been around here, you know how passionate I am about Starbucks coffee. Some of y'all try to get cute and invite me to Coffee Bean. It is Starbucks, y'all. That's the only place they, like, made coffee originally, I think. I'm convinced of that. But because it's a place where I find myself going and a place where, like, it's so much more. I tried one year to give up coffee for Lent. And what I found seven days in is that I missed going to Starbucks. It wasn't just the coffee. It was, like, the experience. Like, oh, you got to go there with me. You got to sit there and people watch. And because the things we get involved with, we get passionate about the places we find ourselves going a lot, we get passionate about them, and then that engagement in those things leads to an invitation. Come with me. Come with me. Check this thing out. And you can't help but talk about it. It becomes the most natural, easiest approach to whatever you want to call it. You want to call it uh, evangelism, inviting people to, to see who Jesus is, to be, to be as, uh, as Paul says, an ambassador for Christ, to be an ambassador for Jesus. When you're engaged and you're passionate about something, you just naturally talk about it. You don't have to be forced. You don't have to be coerced. You don't have to learn how to talk. You just talk about it because it consumes you. And so you invite others, hey, come check this thing out. Oh, you do, come check it out. I remember this in youth ministry when I was so passionate about it, and I was like constantly looking for those people at church who I could suck into youth ministry. Those suckers who would talk to me, and I'd go, oh, this is a pretty cool person. I could see them hanging out with kids. He started talking to them a little bit. He tell them a little story like, oh, man, when we went on this youth trip, we went whitewater rafting. It was so amazing. And they're like, oh, whitewater rafting is pretty cool. Oh, you think whitewater rafting is cool? Come join the youth ministry and you can go whitewater rafting too for Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> you get all passionate about the things that you're passionate about and you're engaged in and you just naturally invite people in. What is that thing for you? Where is your ministry? Where is the area where you just are on fire for that thing? You're so passionate about that thing, and you want to bring other people into that. And maybe that's happening outside of the church, but I would ask you also, where is that thing within the life of the church where you, as a divine image bearer, a human being created in the image of likeness of God, God has wired you in a certain way to, to be used by him to bring glory to him, and to bring your neighbor good. 
How are you using those gifts? Where is your ministry? On the back of the bulletin and on the pew in the card, I just keep saying this, on the pew in the card, you will find in the pew a green card. And on the back of the bulletin, you'll find this image. These are just a few of the ways you can serve in the life of the church, that you can get engaged in ministry in the life of the church. We wanted to give you just a few minutes, uh, if you would take this opportunity, to answer these questions. Where are you currently serving? Again, this could be a ministry inside the life of the church. Maybe for you, sometimes there's there's an age, a stage of life where for you, you are a prayer warrior. That's where you are serving. I've talked to so many of you who are like, I am praying for you constantly. I am pr- that is amazing. If that's where your gift is at, that is incredible. There's all these other areas that you can serve. That's just one example where you can serve in the life of the church. Maybe there's an area that you are serving in the community. I, I know several of you are involved in Rotary, and Rotary is doing amazing things in our community and around our world. There's the free clinic. There's the Samaritan Center. There's the PADS program. There's all these ways, Children's Hunger Fund. All these incredible ways that you can be serving and giving of yourself and your time to the church, to the community, ultimately to the Lord. So I want to give you a few minutes to just jot some things down and then also maybe an area where you're thinking of serving and you might just need that nudge. Maybe it's time here as we're ending this kind of spring season, entering the summer and thinking about new ministries that will launch in the fall. Maybe this is the time where over the course of the summer, you need to connect with myself, with Pastor Matt, with another uh, leadership uh, team person or a person who's leading a team. Maybe it's worship ministry and you need to connect with Jay or a member of the team. We want to connect you to the place where God has gifted you and the place where God can use your gifts in the life of the church. This summer would be a great opportunity. I'd love to see my calendar full of coffee, Starbucks only, and lunch appointments where we just get to explore, where do you see God calling you to serve in the church? Maybe it's not on this list. I came across some really amazing materials uh, that was describing this church. These are materials I found from 1998. And it described this church as a permission-giving church. I thought that was amazing. I've seen that to be such an incredible thing in the church I was serving in Washington. What that means is that There might be something that's not on that list, but you feel like you have a ministry that's just bubbling up within you. We want to give you permission to explore that ministry. We want to give you permission to explore where God is calling you. We want to encourage you, equip you to pursue that thing. And then maybe even if if others come alongside of you and you gather a crew and you're doing some ministry, we even might want to throw some money at it and say we want to support this ministry. This is becoming a part of our church. That, That happens in churches and it becomes a beautiful thing. At my last church, some concerned teachers came forward and said, we want to start an after school program. We see that there are too many kids in our community who don't have basic access to education, to parents who can read with them after school. Moms and dads are working all these hours. We need to provide a safe place uh, for kids to come after school. And it seemed kind of crazy because the dollar amount to do a free program like that just seemed nuts. And next thing you know, 11 years ago, the church put like 
$50,000 in the budget and one shot, increasing it by 50 grand just for a program that would not benefit anybody in the church but benefit our community. Is there something like that that we're sitting on here where you're going, there's this ministry that, that I could imagine and, and, and let's give it some time to pray about it, to gather some others and see is that where God is leading us as a church. Finally, last thing. I want to go back to our friend, Mr. Ite Talgam, the conductor. And he shows one final person, one final person where he shows, he says, if you're doing all these things, you're giving things away, you're inviting people to be partners, you're on the roller coaster ride. He says that what you do is you get to this wonderful point where you're doing without doing. Where you're making beautiful music and it's just easy because you're all doing it together. And he shows this gentleman. That's the goal. It's doing without doing. It's where you just get to stand back and, and it's like watching your kids do incredible things. And you know you had a part in it, but it's so much more about them doing something incredible. And you notice he's just got his arms folded. He's not waving the, but he's just, just taking it in. He's a part of the music doing without doing. I hope that we can be that kind of church that I can be that kind of leader, that I can sit back and go, this is so incredible to see what the people of God are doing in and through the ministries of this church. And to know that I had a hand in it, but my hand was to encourage, to equip, to empower, not to go, and you do this, and you do that. But just to stand back and take it all in and see what God is up to. If you had a chance to fill this out, we are going to, uh, here, here we're going to move uh, to the offering and to prayer. And as the offering bags come around, I want to encourage you uh, to drop these into the offering bags um, a, a, as they come around. We would love to collect these. We'd love to contact you. I would love to do my part to encourage you, encourage you, equip you, listen to you, pray with you to see where your ministry is. Let's now turn to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good. And it is so True, Lord, that you have given each and every one of us gifts, talents, abilities, passions for things, Lord. Sometimes those passions, God, others might say, that's kind of a silly thing, I don't get it. But Lord, you've wired us in very, very specific ways, and we are thankful for that. 
Lord, we are, we are eager to see, God. I am eager to see how your spirit will bring us together to do more work together than we could do alone. God, use us, use each individual in this room to start building that roller coaster, that amazing, crazy, incredible roller coaster where then we get to invite others along for the ride. We're going to say to others who maybe are our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, our family members, Lord, people in our community, we're going to say, come along for the ride. Come add your gifts. Come add your perspective to this crazy, incredible journey we are on. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for your son, for the way that he makes this alternative way of life possible by forgiving us of our sins, by showing us what redemption and reconciliation looks like. God, we continue to pray for those in our community who need your healing. We continue to celebrate with those, Lord. We celebrate with the Rodriguez family on the birth of their son, Callum. Thank you, God, for new life. God, we thank you for the dads in this room, the spiritual dads in this room. We pray that today would be a blessing for them. And we pray, God, as Jay mentioned earlier, for those whom this is a difficult day, who have lost dads in the last year who maybe didn't have a dad or didn't have a dad who was a positive influence, Lord, we pray for them on this day as well. God, we acknowledge that you are the good father who gives good gifts to those who ask. We pray all of these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship and receive the offering?